Well, hello, dealmakers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Hey, I want to give a shout out to one of our iTunes reviewer for the podcast. His name is Rocky Mastro. He says, we're in the top three podcasts. Michael brings a value and his message to every podcast. And I love that. So really love these reviews you guys are leaving, whether they're they're good. I love those, of course. But if there's any kind of uh, suggestions you have for improvements, let us know that as well, because we're, we want to make the show better for you all the time. Also want to give you a shout out to one of our mentoring students. His name is Omer Singer. He got started in October 2020, oh, joined our mentoring program, and he's working with full-time syndicator Barry Flavin, and he just did his deal. He closed a 16-unit in Long Beach, his first deal in five or six months from getting started with us. So shout out to Omer on his first deal because now he's about a year, maybe two away from quitting his job. And that's what we're all about here at the Michael Blanc Brands is to help people do their first deals so they can quit their jobs and become financially free. So uh, today's guest is a woman who has really defied all odds to be where she is today. Uh, no financial background, actually divorced, no college education, and she's financially free with real estate. So we're going to get into that in a second. Before we do that, we're bringing out our co-host of the show, Garrett Lynch. What's going on, Garrett? What's going on, Michael? You know, I was just reflecting. We work pretty hard, Garrett, you know, both of us. Probably you work a bit harder than I do. But in general, we work hard. And one of my observation is that people who become financially free, it's not that they don't work any less. They just work differently, right? So it opens us up to work how we want and we work on our own terms. And, you know, like for me, we're taking a month off and we're spending it on the beach. You can see in the background is, is the beach. We're on the panhandle of Florida. And we're just taking a month off. And because, you know, we can work from anywhere we want on our own terms. And that's really what I love about this business. Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, that was what attracted me to this business in the, in the beginning was I just wanted that freedom. So I, you know, you, you free up your time and, you know, obviously the money comes with it, but I was able to go on, on a trip for a hundred days straight uh, through 14 countries at a time, starting in Asia, ending in New Zealand, all because of real estate. So I owe everything to that, yeah. to that journey. Well, I'm glad you're here because uh, based on what you told me, uh, you probably wouldn't be back. You'd be somewhere, probably in North Korea somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I made the decision when you book a trip like North Korea, you have a month of sitting on it because it takes a month to process everything. And it's like one of the, when I went there, everyone's like, you're the craziest person. Don't, don't ever do that. And I was like, yeah, I know I'm doing it. And so when you still sit on it for about a month, they process it. And every day you wake up and you're like, why am I going here? I could go anywhere in the world. Why am I choosing to go here? And so I backed out of the trip, I think like four times before I finally got in touch with this uh, DJ in San Diego. And, and the tour guide was like, hey, talk to this guy. I got connected with him. And he's like, hey, listen, everyone's going to tell you not to go and do this. Uh, he's like, but here's my suggestion. Show up to the airport and bring your bags. And if you feel like getting on the plane, get on the plane. If not, back off. And so I did. I showed up in Beijing. And I had my bags and I had, a, there was a bunch of Europeans there that just didn't care about anything. They were like, oh yeah, we're going another trip. And I was like, you know what? Let's do it. <laughs> so let's jump in. Let's go, let's go into this forbidden country. And, uh, and I did. <laughs> so, Well, some people don't come back, Garrett, right? Because especially as an American, again, they don't, they don't want to find you ever. I'm not suggesting that anyway. I don't even think you can go there right now. <laughs> but at the time, yeah, they were literally launching rockets up towards the US and I was stepping into the country. So it was, there was definitely yeah. an inherent risk about that. So 
Yeah, I just love the freedom of real estate gives us. And this is really what we're all about here on the podcast is just empowering you to put a vehicle in place where you can literally work on your own terms. And and that's just really powerful. And today's guest is Sadna Sabrawal, and she's the same way. She wasn't even working because she was married, three kids, and then her husband left her. She didn't have a college degree, and she was working as a law clerk for like 10, 15 bucks an hour. And she has three boys to now support. And she now talks about her story to financial freedom, taking care of, of herself and her three boys. And now she's got even bigger plans as well. So it's just a fascinating story of setbacks and challenges and overcoming them. And so let's get uh, right in the story with Sadna. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your hosts... Michael Block. Sadna, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to be here as well because, you know, we've had a chance to talk uh, before this call and I'm just amazed at your story, uh, the where you came from and the and the challenges you had, Matt, the, the, the headwinds and the setbacks you've had. And yet here you are as a successful, you know, entrepreneur and real estate investor. And so, I want to get into your story for anyone who felt like, oh, they've had a little bit of setback or a challenge in there. You've had many of them. Give us a little background on yourself before we dive in. Well, my name is Sadna Sabarwal. And for me, I came to Canada about 40 years ago. And for me, it was all about just living a regular life. I never thought I would be where I am today. Most of the time, women, they just want to get married. They want to have a good husband. They want to have a good family. And that's the end of it. And I thought that would be my life as well. But that obviously didn't happen. Yeah, so true. But, you know, you had lots of challenges in your in – your, let's, let's, let's talk about some of them because yeah, – let's talk about some of those things. I mean, go, go, go a little back in time and, and talk about, you know, some of the things that you experienced in life. Well, when we came here, I mean, you know, my family was no different than any other immigrant family. My dad was the only income earner. My mom used to work at a restaurant and sometimes at the farm. I worked at a gas station um, cashier. We'd go and even clean snow for some people when we were younger. My brother and I would go and deliver newspapers, Toronto Star at the time. So it's like just growing up, we were always hard workers. So when this situation came that about 20 years ago, my husband actually, we were at my cousin's wedding. And um, what happened was he said to me, come outside for a smoke with me. And we did. And I never thought going out for a smoke would change my life. And that's when he told me, this is at my first cousin's wedding, you know, all dolled up and everything. And um, we go outside and he tells me there's another person in his life, another woman in his life. And mm -hmm. I'm like, where's this coming from? Right. Mm -hmm. You don't expect that at all, especially at a wedding as well. Right. And uh, so that's where he broke the news. He goes, usually the women are the last person or the wife is the last person to know. I don't want that for you. So here I am telling you, I was like, yay, what do I do with that? Uh. So that's how my story began. So I think once he decided or once he told me that, it's like, you know, okay, what do I do? So it took me about six months to figure out what is it? Like, am I going to stick with this or am I going to go ahead? What am I going to do? So then this happened in September. And then I think six months later, I asked him, I said, well, I can't go on like this. You have to make a decision. And then he goes to me, I can't leave her. So then I basically said, then you leave me. And he mm. did. Wow. 
And did you have children children at the time? I had yeah. I have three boys. I had three boys. They were nine, eleven, and thirteen at the time. And then to top it all off, he just said he did not have financial strength to support me or the kids. So here I am with the three kids. At least he left me with a roof over my head. He got the business. And he left me with the kids in the house and the mortgage and the credit card and the family debt that he had borrowed from my parents, all of that. But at least I had something like, you know, so for me, one of the things that I didn't do was I just wanted to make sure that my kids were okay. So what did you do to support yourself? I was working full time as a law clerk. And thank God for that. I had just started my job about a year ago from when this happened. So I was like, you know, if that wasn't the case, and I've thought about this many times, if that was not the case, what decision would I have made? Would my self-worth or me waking up in the morning and looking at myself in the mirror, would I have been able to still make that decision? And I still say, thank God I was working because I chose self-worth, self-dignity over staying with somebody who was not faithful. But it was difficult for you because, I mean, did you have a college education? Like, what was your preparation for for working? I was working at a law clerk at that time, and I still work as a law clerk, and I've been at the same law firm for about 25 years. So when he left, I was probably making about 15 bucks an hour, not a whole Mm -hmm. lot of uh, money to count with. But you know what? The kids were small, and I was Mm -hmm. able to support them. But as the kids got bigger, obviously, their needs become a lot bigger as well, right? So that's where my journey started about looking for other ways to bring money into the house. And how did you get started with real estate? Like, how did that come about? So, as I said, I was working at a law office. And one day, this woman comes into the office, a client. She was renewing a mortgage for a property that she owned. It was far away. It was about five, six hours away. And I looked at her mortgage payment. And I was blown away because my car payment was more than her mortgage payment. And something just went, like the light bulb went on. I was like, what is this? I don't understand. And I started asking her questions. I think it was supposed to be probably like a 15 minute thing. And I was grilling her for over an hour, I would say. At the end, she invited me to her house and she said she had just started herself a small real estate club. Why don't you come and be a part of it and then learn from there? So that's how it started. So so a lot of people go to real estate clubs and they don't do anything with it. So what what made you different? Were you you started there? What, What kind of things were you doing that actually got you some results that that kind of led you to where you are now versus a lot of people that are just going to these things. Okay. So I also have that. Those were my first set of real estate club, right? We'll start with that. Very small, very informal. There were probably like 10 people at the max. And there were times when there were just two or three people as well. So that gave me a whole lot of environment to ask a lot of questions. But I think I'm going to go back to saying, I think your why has to be very strong. My why were my three kids. Right now, Three of my boys, all three of them, two of them are doctors and one has done his MBA at Northwestern. So when your why is bigger than you, nothing else matters. Nothing else will matter. And for me, it all became that how do I support my children? How do I get them to university? I've never gone to university. Like Michael said, what was my college education? I did my high school and I did two years of accounting. 
But for me, I knew my kids were, you know, you can tell if your kids are smart or if they're bummed, right? So I knew these kids would be wanting to go further. So I better get my shish together to get them there. What made you believe that real estate would be a way to fund your kids' college education? I think just learning by going to that real estate club. And I think I saw how positive cash flow impacted her life. It was like, mm. you know, if the rent is $2,000 and if the expenses are $1,500, you're getting $500 every month in your pocket. Where do you get that where you do the work once and then you don't have to keep on working for that every single time? Like even when I'm working at my job, I have to go in to get paid. I don't get paid whether I come in one day or not. I have to be here. I'm just the way it works. So what did you do then in this in this club? Like, So you, you probably start attending and you start soaking it all in. At what point did you actually start to actually get active yourself? What did you do and yeah, what, what was that thing you did? So my very first thing was, yes, for the first year, I think I was just literally just like a sponge, just keep on taking everything in. And then finally, I think I did a cottage property with the same person. It didn't work out. You know, we spent about 500, 600 bucks on inspection and stuff. It didn't work out, but at least it got my feet wet. So, yes, it cost us each $300 to get the inspection done, but I learned. Now, then I think some of the people started to going to this small town. But as I said, because this was such a small group, I was more like, okay, let's see. What's everybody doing? So once we started going into the small cities, that's where I said, okay, this is where I'm going. So you got that first one. Did that kind of catapult you into the next the next? And, and, and how hard is it? that point the cottage property was a bummer because i i have no no experience with cottages she did and it's funny when we bought the one cottage property i brought my kids there to do some demolition and stuff and i may have shared that story with you michael my kids we get there and they're like mom we're brown we don't do cottages But apart from that, then uh, when once everybody started going into the smaller town and I put in a lot of offers, the one house I bought was $5,000. It was a tax sale. I worked on that. I bought a sixplex with 75% VTB, 25% I borrowed from a family member. And then that's what catapulted me, Garrett. Once you do one, then it's just like, you know, repeat, repeat. How did you do the first cottage? Did you have did you have some savings that you had set up for this purpose to get into like the first two? No. Or how did you get into those one or two first ones? It was all other people's money, as I call it, whether it's mortgage line of credit. So when my ex-husband left, I had a mortgage on the house, but I increased the mortgage. I put a little line of credit and that's where it started. Okay. So you got a line of credit against the house and you use that to fund the first one, two of these properties? The first one is the cottage property. Oh, the cottage property. Okay. Okay. And then the second one was $5,000. How did you fund that? That one was again from a line of credit. And then I did all the renovations with Home Depot card. <laughs> I love really? Uncle Home Depot. I love him to death. <laughs> Home Depot. So so obviously, okay, but how are you going to repay these Home Depot credit cards? Okay. Like what was your plan? Okay. So my thing was, okay, I bought the house for $5,000. It took money to fix it up. Once it was done, I went to the bank, refinanced the property, paid everybody off, 
And I think I even got about 7,000 in my pocket to go on to the next and next and next. That's a nice little flip. And then you held on to that property? I actually still own that property. The rent is about $790. And I still get about $330 cash flow every month. My maximum number that I owned at the time, or the highest number, I should say, was 18. And that was 46 doors. So I just kept on going and going and going. And now over the years, I've sold a lot to put my kids through school and stuff. Yeah, I love that. What was your strategy in the beginning? Was it like, well, I'm going to buy a house when I can? Was it a specific number? Was it a single family house strategy? Was it a multifamily? Like, what was your plan in the early, in the very beginning? My plan was anything, anywhere where I don't have to use my money. That's it. Anytime <laughs> I can make it a no money down for me, I'm in. So the $5,000, obviously, now I understand what I did. Now I know it's called a birth strategy. I didn't know at the time. I was just buying it for $5,000. And I said, okay, I have this credit card, Home Depot. Let's see, just continue to pay it off. And then at the end, go to the bank. Like now I understand there is a terminology for anything that I have done. But at the time when I was doing it, it was just a matter of, okay, just, okay, what do I do? What do I do? Okay, if I could do this, let me do this. Let me do this. That's all I was doing. Now back to this cottage experience, you when your kids said, you know, we're brown. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. It's, right and you know so i mean talked about because you know you're you're obviously a female and you're a minority i mean what was that a challenge for you to kind of get into the game talk a little bit about that or maybe it was a non-issue you know what it was an issue because number one like i said well i am brown yes like as my kids so blatantly said but i think it was more about me joining up with somebody who had the experience so i wasn't really looking to say oh my god i'm going to go buy the scottish property no the purpose i got out of that even though nothing was intentional in the sense but when you go there when you go and meet 15 people every week there is that trust factor that gets built as well right and then the cottage property, I did joint venture with the lady who hosted the club. I also met people there that I've done other joint ventures with. I bought a duplex with a lady there. Uh, I had met at the same club. We still own it. We bought it for about 55000 The rent is like 1500 The cash flow is like $500. Wow. Right? So all of these things, it's when you go to these networking events, you're not going there to look pretty. You're going there, number one, to be seen because now if somebody sees you at that event every single time, they know you're trustworthy and they're going to come speak to you as well. So that's one thing. I have also gotten hard money lenders out of that. And again, I didn't know at the time they're called hard money lenders. Oh, hey, you have money. I want to buy this property. I'm getting it below market value. And I knew in my head, if I go to the bank, they're only going to give me 80% of the purchase price, right? So I'm thinking, wait, if I'm getting it cheaper, why don't I buy it? And I then go to the bank. And like I said, I had no clue what I was doing. But now, having done this for 12 years, now I know, oh, okay, that's hard money lending. Oh, okay, that's what I did. You're like a kind of a master wizard at putting together deals, right? Like you, so, so you found like the different components that make a deal and you have, it looks like different, you know, diff, different lenders, different resources for money. How does somebody get started even down that path? Like where do they, where do they even start to get to 
you know, and, and you said, you know, you learned it, you picked it up along the way, but I'm, you know, I could just, if I'm, if I don't know anything about the game and I'm like, you know, where do I even start to, to start to put and piece these things together? What advice do you give people on that? Well, the first thing I always say is the reason we're afraid is because we don't have enough knowledge about something. So if, for instance, you're interested in buying real estate, how about just start with Google or YouTube? Okay. Now, next question for me would have been like, okay, I don't have too much money. How to buy real estate with no money? That's, again, I'm giving that advice today. I didn't know any of that back then. I have also, because I've been doing this for 12 years now, what I've also done is I've put all of my knowledge, because I know all the stuff I went through. I've actually put a course together, and it's an online course. It's called the No Money Down Academy, because I have lived everything that I've put in the course. So you can also join some of those courses. As I said, like, you know, there's a lot of free resources as well on YouTube, you know, anything. And for me, I actually feel the best education is also when you go to these networking events, because you're looking at other people, you're sharing in their success, and you're, you have this opportunity to ask them questions. Absolutely. Yeah. And so let's talk about, because you're kind of like the queen of no money down, right? <laughs> let's talk about some creative financing techniques. What are the different things that you've used in some of your investing? Oh my God. Well, like I said, the burr, I didn't know what it was doing, the $5,000 house. I bought a 10 unit building. So it's an eight unit building plus a duplex. And I bought it uh, with no money. As a matter of fact, the seller lent me the money to close the deal for the down payment and for the closing costs. And I still own that eight plus the 10 units. Now, how did I do that? I actually borrowed the money elsewhere, but I gave, sorry, I gave the mortgage. Obviously, you know, the bank will not allow you to put a second mortgage, uh, some of the banks. So I gave him a mortgage on another property. So then the bank doesn't know that I borrowed. <laughs> wow. I've done everything, everything in the book without knowing what yeah. the bleep I was doing. So, I mean, like I said, for me, honestly, it was all about how do I buy property when I don't have the money? So let's just, talk, how, about, how about this? You got some advanced stuff going on, right? Like you, like it's very advanced. Like even so I was listening to you and I'm like, like you're just very creative about this, which is, which is fantastic. How does someone go about getting seller financing? How do you think it's the easiest way for them to go about getting that? And why would a seller even agree to this? Okay. So I've done, I think about three or four with seller financing. So number one, I thought if I give them the price they want, and like the six flags that I mentioned to you guys at the beginning, I borrowed 25% from a family member, and then I took 75% from the seller. So if I gave them their price, I would. it's very possible, and especially if it's an older person, that they will have the mortgage paid off mm -hmm. already. If, for instance, that money that he would have gotten from the sale, he would probably get 2% at the bank. I gave him 7% because the deal still made sense. The numbers still made sense. I was walking away with $900 of cash flow every single month. How could I not, even if he would have asked 8%, I would have given it to him. So that's one of the things like, you know, you could 
target people or target, when I was into this a lot more, let's say into the buying phase, I told my realtor, give me the deals where I can do a vendor take back. I would put it in every offer that I put in out there. If they cross it out, great, no problem. Even if they give me 20%, who cares? I'll take the 20 and I'll take the 80 from the bank. But in this scenario, the six flag scenario, the guy wanted 25% down and he said, he'll give me the 75% for the vendor take back. All right. So, so you have some seller financing in there. You used Home Depot cards. You have a, a, a line of credit you used. Anything else that you've done? Yes. Uh, I borrowed else? money from a coworker for the down payment. <laughs> okay, I borrowed money. money from my realtor to uh-huh. support some of the, um, like, you know how sometimes you have to pay the contractor, even though you could buy the material from Home Depot. So I said, Bill, you have a line of credit. Let's use that and I'll pay it every so this really is a good point. So I can see a lot of people being like, man, I don't know if I could do that, right? How do you get over that fear to just ask anyone and everyone to help you get a deal done? What, what is, what's behind that? Remember what I said. What is my why? My why is to bring more money into my house. As a law clerk, I mean, what are we talking about? An average salary of any person out there, we're talking about somewhere between forty dollars and $50,000. For me to be doing this, okay, now I make a little more than that. But for me to be doing what I'm doing on that salary would have been impossible, next to impossible. So I had no choice but to figure this out. So same thing, like, you know, if I've got my kids going into med school, I know how much it's going to cost me. It doesn't matter where, how I do it, I have to do this. Okay, but why was this such a strong why for you, right? Because there's plenty of people who don't go to law school and med school and turn out fine. Like, why were you, it almost seems like you were maniacal about this. was a very important thing to you. Why was that so important that it just kept you going day after day, week after week? What was it about that goal that was so important to you? I think it's because I never went to university. I think it was just my own personal insecurity that was like, you know what? I've never gone to university all my life. I've lived with this thing because I haven't gone to university. I'm not smart. It was just a personal mission that, okay, you know what? My husband, bless you. You walked away. I can do this on my own. So I think it just became like I wanted to do it. It's not very frequent that we interview successful female investors on the show and it's because there's not that many out there, of them out there. And I'm just wondering if you think you have a theory of why that might be the case. I think we don't give ourselves enough credit, to be honest. Like I said, all my life when I was married, and I was married for 16 years, I gave my husband so much deference because he was an engineer. He was an MBA. It's like, oh, yeah, you know everything. But now, after he's gone, like I look around, and I'm like, okay, there's nobody here. I'm it. I better make these decisions. I better do this right. Right. So so he was a primary breadwinner. And so it wasn't really relevant for you. And now all of a sudden, your responsibility is to finances as well. In our US culture, I think in the, the majority of, of breadwinners are, are male, which, right? And, and so it falls on their, on their shoulders to find the money. Mm-hmm. And what irritates them to no end is this conflict between trying to provide for their family and controlling their time because they can do one, but not the other. They can, they can not show up for work, control their time, but then they can't earn a living, right? Or they can do the other way around. They can just work and provide a living and then they can't control their time. 
I think that's my theory. And the other theory, I think, is that there's not a lot of role models in, in women as well. And this is why this is I was really great to talk to you about this because you are now going to serve as a role model for other women who, you know, are now inspired by, by what you have you have done. And what needs to happen, do you think, to have more women in real estate? I think the first thing would be, I mean, you know, we have to believe in ourselves. That's the must, must, must thing. And I think the second thing is why do you want to do it? Like for me, now the kids are grown. They don't need me, seriously. They're like, if I don't see them or if they don't see me every three months or something, it's fine. I want to travel. And then the third thing I've done also is the course, as I was talking about. But the major thing is I think it really starts with you. And I think as soon as we start giving ourselves credit, we can go a lot further, a lot further than we are at. Because I think many times, like even when I was married, it's like I'm looking for validation. I don't need validation now. It's the same me. It was still the same me back then as well. But now I feel like, yes, this is it. I have to make this decision. I actually really resonate with this because I went through a business divorce of my own. It was very, very similar to divorce. And there are a lot of lessons that I learned along the way that brought me to the place I'm at now. Could you share with us maybe one of those that, that brought you where you are now that you learned in, in going through that really, really hard time? When I got divorced, I still remember this one person, I think it was my neighbor's brother or somebody, this uh, person I knew. He said to me, do not make your life miserable, trying to make his life miserable. And to this day, I follow that. It's been 22 years. I have never spoken ill will over that man. I, if anything, I'm just grateful for him leaving me because that brought me on my soul journey, not just, you know, S-O-U-L, but also my soul to soul journey. So I'm grateful for the three kids because I think if I didn't have the children, I probably would have gone cuckoo. In addition to that, you know, my kids, they have done so well. As a matter of fact, my youngest one just bought a house. He lives in Seattle. He works at Amazon. He just bought a house and he sent me a beautiful message. I don't have my phone on me. And he said, mom, thank you for showing us cash flow so early in my life. He goes, I'm looking at buying another house next month. And like, even I'm choking up. It was just like, it was so beautiful. It was like, he goes, some people are okay working the rest of their life, but I'm so glad you showed us a different way. That's fantastic. You said you're on a, on a soul journey. What is next for you? I want to do a program on happiness and do a lot of retreats and stuff because I think as soon as we satisfy our soul, then we're free to blossom whichever way we want. In my case, I think it became, and this is something that also hits me once in a while. After my ex-husband left, I became the provider. I forgot how to be a mom. Because I just was so much after I need to provide for these kids. I need to pay for that car. I need to pay for this. I need to pay for that. Even when my kids were like, you know, okay, like when they were, I think, 16, they did work at one of those smaller places, you know, Bulk Barn and Licks and stuff. But prior to that, all I used to say to them was, guys, just do your best. That's all I ask. I never said, you know, get 95% or get 28%. No. Just do your best. That's it. I don't want anyone out there to say, because your dad left, you guys didn't do something or mom did not support you. Yeah, it's, I, I love that. It's, it's like you, you kind of took care of yourself 
you kind of created financial freedom for you and your family, took care of your family. I found that once people do that, you know, they kind of look around and they're like, well, gosh, what's next, right? What's next? And so, you know, you've kind of taken the finances off the table a little bit. And typically that job consumes us all day long, all night and all weekend long. And all of a sudden now that pressure is gone. And now it opens you up to ask, well, what else is there in life? And now you're, you know, you're talking about this happiness retreat. What, what about that? I'm just curious. What about that is, is important to you? Why do you feel that's a meaningful work for you? I think when such a big event happens, and in this case, or in my case, it was divorce. I can choose to be miserable. I can choose to curse him all day, all night, every day. I could. But I could also at the same time choose to be live my life be happy, be grateful, be in the present and all of that. It's a choice. So as long as you give people a choice, they will take one. If you say go out and do something, there is so many options. You're going to just get stuck from here to the next door. So for me, happiness, I, I think I just want people to know that you are a complete person with or without that person. You don't need that person to complete you. I actually have friends, they're like, oh, I wish I met somebody and you know, I would be so happy. I'm like, no, you need to be happy and then you will meet that person. So become the person you want to attract into your life and you will, because I'm so positive. And I think, like I said, it all starts from that one sentence that was told to me, which was like, you know, don't make your life miserable trying to make his life hell. So from there, it just like, you know, into a different direction. Yeah, it's interesting how sometimes hardships in our life end up blessing other people. I just, you know, it, it, it happens over and over again. It's just great. Your story now, you know, as, as painful as it was at the time is now going to end up blessing other people. So I, I love that. How can people connect with you? Well, they can reach me at singlemommillionaire.com. That's one of my websites. And then if they want to learn about the course that I've got, which is an online course where I go through everything from money mindset to how my brain works as to how to make it a no money down. And that is called the no money down academy.com. Sadna, love it. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Nice meeting you guys. Wow. What an amazing story, Garrett, huh? Man, I, I love meeting people that are ju that just figured it out. Uh, what an intelligent person that just just went through something and turned it into something even better. And so, and so you know, I think she she has such good lessons along the lines. Definitely, I, I took away the seller financing part. I thought was super interesting. It was right because a lot of people just stumped at, "Hey, don't I don't have the money?" And interestingly, a lot not a lot of people know about raising money in syndications. I I just interviewed uh, recently uh, Cody, a 21 year old, and he did the same thing. He kind of cobbled his deals together. I'm like, uh, "Dude, did you ever hear of like raising money from others?" He goes, uh, "Well, I know that now, but not then." And so you know, Sadna is a little bit similar to that. She's not really raising money. I think she is now. But she wasn't at the time. And so so now, but still, she figures out how to get the deal done. I just love that so much. It's like similar principles that we use when we're raising money from other people. I mean, she was just doing it kind of annoyingly by asking her realtor, asking her neighbor for money. It's the same thing. 
you're, you're just asking for the order, essentially, uh, with other people over and over again. Well, you know, whether you're syndicating equity or syndicating debt, and, and it's the same thing. The paperwork's different. Do you need a PPM? No. You need a, a promissory note. For, and that's how we flipped houses. And both her and Cody did the same thing. They would borrow money at like 12%, you know, annualized interest. And they would treat it almost like a like a hard money loan. Like, oh, no, that's really bad. But But wait. But wait. They improve the property. They raise the rents and then they finance out. Right. And so she's figured this out and then she actually makes money and then she takes it and puts it into something bigger. She's just organically just scaling that. And it's so cool to see that, you know, people churn through through deals like that. And and so I think another thing that she said that really stuck out to me was don't make your life miserable trying to make someone else's life hell. And I think that that resonated with me a lot just because of my personal experience. But I think People get caught up in that and they can, they can maybe look at their opponent or, or a competitor and they, that becomes the center of their world versus she chose to take the opposite direction and just build herself up, which I think is super powerful. And she's a very positive person. And I think positivity has got to be a key factor because if you're not positive, you are let other people and other situations that you don't control affect you and you're giving them more power than they should. So she has a certain degree of positivity that allows her to move on with your life, even though she's had so many setbacks. I mean, can you, you know, being divorced, I don't even know what that's, what that's like. And then not getting financial support. That's like a real punch in the face, right? I mean, a lot of people will turn, turn bitter and angry and not be functional anymore. And she did the exact opposite. Yeah. And, and you know what really, the reason that I think a lot of that surfaced is she said she had this very strong why. Right. And so I actually, ironically, I just spent a weekend away in Austin figuring out my why. And I think that's such a powerful thing to look at is, you know, why are you doing what you're doing and making that kind of the sole focus of, of why you move forward? You know, obviously we're trying to empower others to create financial freedom. So that's kind of our why behind, behind what we do. But I think looking at that is, is extremely important. Well, what you come up for for yourself, Garrett, over that, that weekend? You know, it's uh, it's actually a little bit harder to figure out, but it's uh, it's definitely something that it took us probably eight hours to to get down and, and really dial in exactly what that is. But I don't want to share it quite yet because I have a little bit more fine tuning. But it's it's basically the emotion behind what you do in words is is what it what it comes down to. So whatever your whatever your motivating factor is, you got to figure out how to put that into words. Well, and it takes a lot of time and it's something, you know, and so you said eight hours, you're not quite there yet. It might take another eight hours, it might take even longer. But the point that you're working on that is, is very powerful and everybody, everybody should work on that because it is such a key uh, thing for everyone of what we do all day long. It, it keeps us moving forward on one hand and also gives us purpose as well. And it's not like I said earlier that we work any less, but we work with a more of a purpose that we had before. So yeah, man, that was a great interview, Garrett. And, uh, you know, uh, we always looking for people who are interested in investing outside the stock market. And if you're one of those people who are interested in investing outside the stock market in the real estate, we'd love to have a conversation with you at Nighthawk Equity because we invest in what we think is the best asset class on the planet, which is multifamily uh, real estate. So if you want to find out more about that, we have a fantastic free report out there that compares a stock market to investing in real estate, kind of pros and cons, because there are some pros and cons. And that report is at the michaelblank.com forward slash report check that out and hopefully that'll provide some value to you as well so again appreciate your time here hope you enjoyed it got inspiration from that catch you guys next time thanks for listening to the apartment building investing podcast with michael block for more free podcasts articles and videos go to 
themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.